Hello, Kevin. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Damn right. Oh, Kevin, you're so witty. I would stab someone in the face. Oh, that's gross. I'm cutting this, by the way. Bad Philosophy, episode 135, recorded on April 1st, 2013. Think Pushers. Every welcome and one to Bad Philosophy. I am your host, Stephen Torrance, and we are upsetting the balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time once again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am really excited to introduce someone who has not been on the show for a very long time, uh, an old friend of ours from Texas Tech, Mr. Greg Briley, is back with us. How's it going, Greg? Yeah, it's going pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Greg, you, you said you've, you've been doing a, a lot of gaming recently, right? Yeah, I've been catching up on a lot of stuff that I've missed out of. And uh, I'm also here with my good friend Kevin Saunders, who has also been catching up on video games. Um, I have been. What have y'all been catching up on mutually? Uh, uh, well, go ahead, Greg. You go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, mainly I've just been catching up on a lot of the really popular indie games that have been coming out, like how Bastion came out a few years ago. I just now uh... finally got around to playing that, bunch of other stuff like that, really getting back into just seeing how the indie development, or the, well, I guess that's kind of redundant, the independent development market has really grown since that first kind of push in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just how much of that I've sort of missed. So I've been playing a lot of the really, you know, short sort of games that are coming out with some interesting ideas, interesting puzzle types, stuff like that. Have you played Braid yet? I have played Braid. That was interesting. <laughs> so, okay. Maybe I was the only one who, who had something close to a religious experience playing that game. Uh, you liked Braid a lot. I really did. Uh, we had a whole episode on how much I liked Braid. Um, and we won't go do that again. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll refer people to whatever episode number that was. And actually, while, while you were talking there, and, um, I, I was looking up like the last episode you actually were on, Greg. It was uh, episode 29, so over 100 episodes ago, uh, BF Orange, where we talked about A Clockwork Orange. I remember that one. And, I wasn't on uh, that one. You weren't on that one. It was me and Jed and Greg. Yeah, and, way uh, back then. Yeah, and that was back when I referred to Jed still as Numero Uno Fanboy. Yeah, he's kind of uh, <laughs> slacked off and lost that position. He has. He's maybe like Numero Dulce Fanboy. I don't, I don't know. know. I can, I mean, he's not number one. Yeah. <laughs> if you're still listening, Jed, you can earn it back. You Don't can. worry. So, uh, yeah, well, we, we've had you, we're having you back on the show today, Greg, and uh, I'm, I'm glad Kevin is here for this because um, I guess, you know, I'm all about context, but I'll be brief. I am reading through Action Philosophers, which is a, a compendium of a, uh, a webcomic that was written. Just comic, not just web. Just comic? Yeah. Actual comic? Okay. Yeah. Uh, comic written by Fred Van Lenty. Is it Lent or Lenty? I don't know. One of the two, uh, and Ryan Dunlevy, who do a fantastic job of uh, basically going through the entirety of um, eh. an intro to philosophy course or okay. a bit more. Uh, the, the, when you said the entirety of an intro to philosophy course, I'm okay. Yeah. You said the entirety it's, of philosophy. Not you're the wrong. entirety of philosophy, because it's very much a survey of like all of about a hundred different philosophers. A few dozen. I would say maybe yeah, a few dozen. Uh, from the last, you know, 2,500, 3,000 years in comic book form and, and, you know, portraying sort of ideas and the philosophers themselves as characters. And this has been great for me uh, just as a review. Much better than the Coursera course, by the way. I want to rabbit trail on that real quick. Um, it was all right. Yeah, I, we never I, got back to that. <laughs> I never did. And we probably won't because it turned out to be something very different than I was expecting. Um, well, what did it turn out to be? It turned out to be chaotic. And maybe we'll, we'll put that, maybe we'll talk about that after the show. Okay. Do that as a weekly why. But uh, I found going through uh, action philosophers a much more engaging and, and helpful review of philosophy mm -hmm. for me than going through that um, actual intro to philosophy course. Sure. And um, also recently, too, uh, up on Flipboard, I, I found an article by a gentleman named... Uh, Mark J. Nelson, he's at uh, ITU Copenhagen in Copenhagen, Denmark, um, called Soviet and American Precursors to the Gamification of Work. And uh, gamification is a, a topic that is, is still very much in the, in the news recently for being part of 
uh, applications specifically, like applications and web apps and, of course, games themselves, but the, the idea of rewarding points and having achievements and such and so forth in a workplace um, for you know, actual activities that you would do in real life versus just you know, to get achievements in a particular game world. And um, I kind of wanted to, to just spend a little bit of today talking about, uh, about this and about uh, Marxism in general, which was one of the, the best uh, bits that I found in the Action Philosopher's comic book. So I, I don't, I, I, I'm guilty, probably a lot of people are, of not knowing really what Marxism is and, and mm-hmm. what distinguishes it from socialism and communism and all these, these other things. And uh, I kind of wanted to, to start from there. So. Sure. Okay. What, what's, what's the problem as, as Marx frames it? Um, there is a specter haunting um, something. <laughs> I don't remember. Okay. Um, is that just the, the opening line the of the Communist Manifesto? Okay. <clears throat> um, now what, is, what is the opening line? Uh, a specter is haunting Europe. Of course it's Europe. A specter is haunting Europe. The specter of communism. <laughs> the specter. All powers of Europe have entered into a holy alliance that, to exercise the specter. Pope and Tsar, Metternich and Guzat, French radicals and German police spies. Um, so that's neither here nor there. But, yeah. um, <laughs> um, as I understand Marxism, which isn't the problem with communism necessarily, but... Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, there is a class structure that exists. Okay. The class structure that exists supports those in the higher classes upon the backs of those in the lower classes. Those suffer for the benefit of those in the higher. Lower classes suffer for the benefit of higher classes. Marx calls these the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, right? Yeah, when, it, when he gets into the two specifics, yeah. Um, okay. One could make an argument that there's more than two. But yes, that's, that's how he defines them, as the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And kind of, if I understand correctly, the difference between them is the, the proletariat are the, the wage earners, or the, the producers. The manufacturers. The, the manufacturers. who are in factories, the people who are sitting behind things and making stuff. Right. So they, they the sit, ones. you know, let's, let's take the example of, uh, I don't know, a person making iPhones. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> a person making an iPhone in a factory in a would factory. be part of the proletariat. Right. So they, they, they spend their time, spend, literally, yes. like as, a, as a commodity, or not as a commodity, but they, as a currency. They yes. spend their time in exchange for wages. That time they put in, let's say 100 hours, uh-huh. makes one iPhone. And, sure. you know... An iPhone is then sold uh, uh-huh. for more than the cumulative number of uh, the cumulative amount of payment and materials given to that person. Yes. So the iPhone, the iPhone product. is sold for. You're sniffing my hair, dog. Um, <laughs> Let's say six hundred dollars. Six hundred dollars. And the materials and wages required to produce the phone were two hundred dollars. Yes. So that that difference, that that money that did not go to the person creating the iPhone, mm-hmm. goes to the bourgeois. And and so what what happens in that that gap uh-huh. is an item becomes a commodity. It becomes a thing that a person would use. It for something else. Yes. So they, they purchase it because it then has a use value. You can do right? something with it. Right. You can do something with it. And uh, uh, it, let's see, Marx calls it surplus value, right? So capitalists, he says, are people who benefit from the exchange, not the production of commodities. Yes. They are the bourgeoisie. And so <clears throat> what they do is they don't produce anything. They just, they just move, move stuff around from one person to another and yes. just sort of create value out of thin air. So what ends up happening is, you know, you, you have wage earners uh-huh. who spend their time to earn wages to produce commodities to then buy other commodities. Yes. Right? So you're essentially... The people, the people who, are, who are working in the factory making iPhones or other devices have to then use the money they make from that to support themselves, to continue to buy food, to buy other things that someone else manufactured or or brought into existence in the case of food. Right. Um, you know, a, a butcher is, a, is, is in much the same way a, a wage earner. Yes. You know, a guy working, working at McDonald's, one could argue is that wage earner in the well, same way. Well, I mean, almost everything that we would call a job 
in a, in a lots of things lots we would of things call a job. Would... The things that we would call jobs that we wouldn't call careers. Right. Right. That's that's the <laughs> specification I'm choosing to make. Okay. <laughs> um, so, and that's an, that's actually an interesting rabbit trail we could get into. So, is that does that mean that if you if you have a career that you've then entered the bourgeoisie? Quite possibly. <laughs> um, and and you know that's that's probably a gross oversimplification. Sure. But, you know, it's it's that idea of and 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 we should we should point out, or I want to point out that traditionally these these two are seen um, in a and are and are seen by Marx as you know the proletariat are good, the bourgeois are bad, um, right. and and he's fairly black and white about that. I don't know that I go so far as to say the same thing. Um, so I I don't know necessarily that having someone to move products around is a bad thing inherently. Okay. There's got to be a way for me to get my iPhone from the factory in China to, the, um, to me. <laughs> well, sure. But, um, and, and, you know, with, without, mm -hmm. at some point you have to have someone indirectly facilitating that sort yeah. of thing. And it's sort of the point at which the abstraction or the indirection becomes so far removed from mm -hmm. the, act the action of producing Production, the thing. Yeah. That, that it becomes a problem. Because yes. what, what ends up happening then is, is value becomes, I, I guess in his, his point of view, the, the production of more and more value out of nothing, you know, really you know, no, no substantial thing or no substantial effort. Like no, the new farther you, no new materials. No new materials. The farther it, it, you get that's, from... That's, I, I use that phrase in particular because something that, that a lot of people in the academic world is, is use the phrase materialist. Right. Um, as, as a co-word with Marxism. I wouldn't call them synonyms, but being a materialist puts you in a similar world as a Marxist. Okay. Um, because it's about those, those physicalities, the material, rather than the abstracted. Um, you know, people who play with the stock market are capitalists, yeah. are, are part of the bourgeois. You're, you're, you're making very abstracted bets on how a given company is going to do and those pay off or not. You're not providing any service, mm -hmm. one could argue. Um, the world d doesn't gain any value because you put your money in Apple instead of Microsoft. Right. Or right. in Apple Again, instead of oranges. Again, you're simply moving value around whatever value yes. is, right? You're moving currency around, which... So, so this is, the, and I guess to kind of move us along here, Marx says this is the way the world is. Yes. This is a crappy way because it creates a, a vicious cycle for the, the proletariat, yes. right? Yes. Is that they're simply living to support themselves, reproduce, and then continue to buy more stuff. You know, yes. Continue to work and buy more stuff until they die. And, and so you got to keep doing it. It supports an oppressive system because um, some consequences of this are that, that, um, the bourgeoisie have to keep, or it's in their interest to keep wages as low as possible mm -hmm. so that, you know, a person is not able to, you don't lose producers, basically. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, a producer is not able to become something else. And um, also to keep, you know, uh, just transparency is very low because you don't want the, the knowledge about how to move things around mm -hmm. to, to get out to, to too well, many I mean, people. Well, I mean, it's funny, but a, a, a classic example is, is the Charlie Chaplin film, um, Modern Times. Right. Um, which I don't know if he was intentionally being a, a, making a Marxist reference, but that was more about um, factories in general mm -hmm. and the fact that you've got, you know, people who are so separated from, you know, you're sitting on a, on a, on a, machine screwing in two bolts all day long yeah. on a conveyor belt. And that's all you do is screw in those two bolts. You couldn't get together and make a car. No. You can screw in two bolts. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's all that you have to do. That sort of compartmentalization. Yeah. yeah. And we've all been there. I mean, I, I, I think we've all worked jobs that to one extent or another have involved stuff like that, where you're, you're very much, I mean, have you, Greg? Like, can you, is, <laughs> can you relate to, to that kind of idea? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of fast food service. Like, you know, you have yeah. the people taking money at the front, and you have the kitchen that makes the food, and even in the kitchen, it's divided up to who makes what. Like, mm -hmm. I worked at Raising Canes in Lubbock, which is a That's chicken food right. place. right. Yeah. Yeah. I miss Raising Canes. And, like, we had a specific person that put the chicken and cooked the chicken. Mm -hmm. We had a specific person that did the toast. Uh-huh. And we had a specific person that put all that together 
and then they put it out. <laughs> and the person up front would be the one to take the orders and take the orders out. Yeah. And and so did you all ever switch between these positions or did like each person sort of specialize in doing one of those things? Well, there was definitely like a bonus to specializing because you would get used to the one thing and not have to really worry about anything else. Uh, and you would have to train in the different sections to be able to switch between them. So there was some switching. But for the most part, you usually had like, you know, these people are the ones that are really good at cooking chicken. These people <laughs> are the ones that are really good at putting it together quickly. <laughs> And these people are the ones that are really good with talking with other people. Sure. Right. So let's put them up front and take the money. Hmm. Well, I, and, and it, there's, there's sort of a, a fatalism or, or a, well, that, I that, mean, that comes into that. It, it's just sort of like you know exactly what your job is going to be. Yeah. And that's comforting in a sense, but it also, it, it's also not a very inhuman. And, and I guess human will, will define in sort of that sense of being creative or being spontaneous or yeah or sort well of... it's 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 definitely different and it's definitely something that you know marx would say does not benefit the proletariat right who are the larger group they definitely are by, by there, quite there a are bit. more people you know on the factory floor than there are in the office at the yeah. corner right um and he his and sort of and that's sort of that's sort of the start is you know this is the structure mm -hmm. and what what he says should happen and the, the specter of communism such as it is is the threat that eventually the proletariat are going to realize what why do you want this so bad <laughs> this is a paper towel <laughs> it's not food don't eat it don't look at me I, like I, that I take it kilos back <laughs> he is back yeah <laughs> I'm gonna put it like down. We're, we're talking you're about you know, all these people on the factory floor and how they're thinking. It's like, why do I want this so bad? It's yeah. a paper towel. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Digression. <laughs> um, so the people on the floor are going to realize, or, or Mark suggests, should eventually come to the conclusion that this sucks. Yeah. That this is bad, and there should be mass revolt to bring the means of production and the consumers closer together. Precisely. Um, so that the people who are making it are the same people who are selling it to you. Mm -hmm. And we kind of see this in, in a world of, let's say, artisanal pickles. Right. Um, however, there's, there's still, that's, that's sort of one point. The, the further extension of that is when it, there's no longer added value at all. Everything is just by its use value. And this is where you start getting towards that that idea of, and I don't know if this is a true Marxian idea, but it's I'm going to use it anyway, from each to his abilities to each according to his needs. Yes, yes. Um, so where, you know, I'm really good at making hats. Stephen's really good at wearing hats, but he doesn't have any. So I make a hat and Stephen <laughs> has it. Um, and in a, in, in a communistic world... It would be much less, in a, in a idealized communistic world, it would be much less like Soviet Russia right. or communist China. Mm -hmm. It would be much more like that hippie commune down the road. Yeah. Um, where it is, it is freely giving and sharing because it is for the benefit of all rather than just for the selfish benefit of one. Right. What yeah. happens is we don't see that happen. We yeah. see individual countries rise up and impose communism mm -hmm. when it should be something that, that comes out well, intentionally. Well, one of the points in, in action philosophers is they, they all failed because the, he says the world cannot exist part capitalist and part communist. Yes. In a head-to-head -head yeah. match, capitalism will always win. Yeah, well, and, and there's, there's a great line in there, and I don't know exactly what it is, but it's something along mm -hmm. the lines of, of capitalism is great at absorbing dissent. Yes. At taking things that di that disagree with it and making them into commodities. <laughs> I, I, have it, I have it right here. Um, because capitalism is nothing if not ductile, uh, from time to time groups come along who fancy themselves revolutionary. And they have, you know, sort of the, the um, queer theory. They have the... Um, I would say feminist as well. Post-colonialists yeah, post and the, and the, and the feminists. Right. Yeah. And so then they have... Um, 
they have the next one and say, but capitalism appeases would-be reformers, absorbs them into itself, seducing one-time social pariahs into becoming just another demographic for its commodities. Yes. So you, you then produce... Um, glee, let's just yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but no, <laughs> that's that sort of stuff. And, and produce and... Post, post-colonialist literature mm-hmm. and sex in the city, you know. <laughs> and, and here's another example that's, that's a really interesting one, and it's, and it's kind of a controversial statement, um, uh-huh. but it was originally made by um, one of my post-colonial professors back in the day, mm-hmm. um, back when I was studying post-colonialism, and he, we were talking about the 1950s lunch counter, right. um, which was segregated. Um, by law, it was segregated, or it was mm-hmm. enforced by law. Um, and he pointed out to me, and mind you, this guy's about as liberal as it gets, mm-hmm. um, but he pointed out that in a truly capitalistic world, the lunch counter, as, as tastes change, as people became opposed to segregation and said, we've got to fight this, we don't like this, yeah. a capitalist would open his lunch counter to anybody. Yeah. And saying, that's more money for me. Great, yeah. That's, Let's bring it on, more and, customers. And right? that's more money for me, and that's, that's what I want. Yeah. The issue is we don't have truly capitalistic sets, hmm. truly capital, true capitalism either. We have capitalism influenced by ideals and by, by belief systems. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I use that very broadly, meaning you know, the belief that some people are better than other people and shouldn't be served or should right. be kept separate. Right. That's a belief system. And we have um, we have regulated capitalism. Yes, like completely um, unregulated. We do not have laissez-faire capitalism. No, we do not. Um, which would be interesting to see. As much as I would, as much as I would like to see a true communism. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm I'm fairly capitalistic on the scheme of things. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I like capitalism. <laughs> I'm not so fond of late stage consumer capitalism, where we're kind of at right now. We are. Yeah. Um, which is a different thing, where it's where it's it's all about. Getting that new thing, getting that next thing, getting yeah. this next thing. It's, it's, all about, it's all about purchase power and, yeah. and buying things, which capitalism doesn't have to be about. But no. late-stage consumer capitalism is. Hmm. Um, now, they say late-stage. Is, is that sort of implying that we're on the brink of something else? That or? means we're in the, that's the most recent stage. So huh. like, that's you know, the, the latest stage. What was the last thing you purchased, Greg? Um, well, let's see here. Other than... Just like games to download and stuff, probably would be the mouse I used to play the games. <laughs> Where was that? Who who made that mouse? Logitech. Logitech. Logitech is a multinational corporation. Probably made in China. Probably made in China. All right. What yeah, did, most likely. What did you buy before that mouse? <laughs> oh, you're making me think. <laughs> <laughs> We're nothing if not think. Pushers. Think pushers. <laughs> Think pushers. Episode That's title. our episode title, uh, Think Pushers. Well, I, I guess you could say the computer pushers. I'm using right now would be somewhat of a purchase that I made. Okay. I mean, again, something probably produced in China. Uh, probably not purchased in the U.S., but what do we have that was purchased in the U.S.? Have you seen that show, Made in the U.S.A.? No. Um, I think it's what it's called. I think it's a TV yeah, show called the, Made in the USA. On history or something like that? Um, or Made in America. It's a TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of those... Made in America. It's one of those TV shows, you know, makeover shows, like Trading Spaces or whatever, where oh, yeah. we're going to come in and make and fix your house. It's hosted by John Ratzenberger. I didn't know that. Sorry. I've never actually what? watched the show. That's the best thing in the world. Well, John Ratzenberger from Cheers. He was Cliff. You don't get more American than Cliff yeah. the Mailman. <laughs> he doesn't the understand the world Toy he lives Story. in. But that's okay. Um, also, yeah, he was in Toy Story. Yeah. That's true. Um, I think I think it was made in America. There was it was a show Hilo like likes, that. Hilo yeah. likes John Ratzenberger. I don't blame you, Hilo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think this is it. Because uh, it's a travel channel. Okay, never mind. Show, well, but it was it was it was a TV show where they would come in and renovate, renovate your house and replace everything with stuff made in America. Wow! And and show that it could be done, or show that it was kind of ridiculous well, it was, in that, some that it cases, could be done, or? and sort of that, that it should be done. Mm-hmm. But then you saw the price tags. Oh, and. 
everything was crazy expensive. And we see this, and this is, this is mentioned in, in Action Philosophers, Yeah, in that because capitalism wants to keep wages low, mm-hmm. we move, you know, we, they talk about the, the worker revolts that we've had and, and yes. the fact that we have a higher minimum wage and that we have fought some of this capitalism thing and worked for, you know, pushed for worker rights and things unions like that. Unions. And, and unions yeah. and things like that. Again, which, which I have opinions on, but that's not the right. point of what we're talking about right now. And so what did we do? We moved it to where those laws didn't exist. Pretty much. And, that, and the capitalism part of it, capitalism went, oh, okay. I mean, it adapts and it yeah, just goes, yeah. all right, well, we're just going to go overseas. We're going to go then, over there where we don't have to have minimum wages. Right. And, and we can get away with these <laughs> sorts of things. Or just where current local currency conditions are, yeah. are more favorable. Or yeah, and, and they do that. And yeah. until we run out of places like that... Mm-hmm. You know, so all of those places have to then revolt. Yeah. And they have to fight back and keep pushing these things. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. So let's say, you know, according to Marx, you have to uh-huh. completely overthrow the entire system. Like, there yes. can't be any traces of capitalism anywhere with any significant quantity yes. um, anywhere in the world. Okay, so complete worker revolution. The means of production are completely owned by workers or whatever the yes. hell that means. You know, you, you, you kind of have a complete restructuring of society, right? Uh-huh. So in that sort of a system, the, the question always comes up of like, okay, well, from each according to their ability to each according to their need, right? You know, motivation is another big question that I've always mm-hmm. had in that. Is like, okay. But why? Why, does, why should why Jimmy make anything? corn? Right. <laughs> you know, why, and like how much corn, right? Mm-hmm. Like once I produce enough to feed myself, I guess, do I make more because I want something other than corn or like what, what is sort of the intrinsic yeah. motivation there? Like, um, and so, so one of the things that, that uh, I think Marx actually proposed was that there could be, um, that there could be competition. And mm-hmm. I don't think it was, it might not have been Marx, but it might've been later, later socialists that said like, you know, once you, once you have these sort of factories owned by the people, that one of the things that could be an, a motivator for them, you know, this, in the same way that, that monetary compensation is a motivation uh-huh. in, in a capitalist system, is that you could have um, this idea of, of intangible rewards. Okay, Papa, you gotta not jump Ooh. on that thing again. <laughs> you could have this idea of intangible rewards yeah. as, and like achievements and levels as you know, a, a means of distinguishing um, achievement between mm-hmm. different people. And, uh, you know, it's come lately to be known as gamification. And yeah. I just, I wanted to kind of ask, so Greg, you said you worked at Raising Canes. Mm-hmm. What, what was there, did y'all get like points or like employee of the month or anything like that for the kind of the work that you would do? There wasn't really an employee of the month or anything like that. They did do like more of a personal sort of giveaway like hey you're working really hard today you know here's a coupon to something that we got okay so they gave you, you know, sort of like that discounts. so more of an individual reward not so much a competition between everyone mm-hmm. but it was, it was discounts on raising canes or discounts <laughs> to other things I just depend on what they had because like we gave out coupons for raising canes and then we would also do like food trades and stuff with other stores like subways and stuff like that, so we would get coupons from them. Hmm. So you, you... and they did provide a lot of benefits on the side, like the we would have picnics, stuff like that, crew picnics once a year, twice a year, to where you know you've worked hard, here's a day off, and come hang out, <laughs> sort of thing. Okay. So it wasn't really so much a rewards, but it's but, but more of like motivators. A, yeah. So was it more intrinsic motivation of you should do this because it's the best, you should do the best job you can, or do this and we'll give you a shiny new puppy full of candy? (laughs) Well, as far as the motivation... No, then my question would be, why why would you kill a puppy (laughs) and fill it with candy? Well, as far as as how they motivated you to do the best job you could... (laughs) That's so horrible. um, Was it something... That was an intrinsic motivator where they said you should do the best job you can because you should do the best job you can. Or was it you should do the best job you can because you might get a raise, you might get more hours, you might get a, a physical tangible kind of stuff, yeah. Tangible benefit. And apparently Stephen doesn't isn't fond of me saying a, a shiny new puppy full of candy yeah. as an option. Or you know, a half 
pony half monkey monsters or something. You something know? like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so so, and I guess all right. That's one. That's one aspect of the question, I suppose. But you know, competition is is a powerful motivation. Yeah. And it and it may be exclusive to Western culture. I don't know. That's that's possible. It certainly um, exists strongly in Western culture. Right. But it certainly seems like all cultures have had the need to compete with each other for, for one reason or another. You know, we can't, we can't say exactly why. I mean, either for survival or for um, acquisition of resources and in some broad sense for the entirety of human history. You know, we see that pretty consistently in the anthropological record. And one, one thing that, that perhaps the socialists identified was like, look, well, if you take away this sort of competitiveness between people for better wages, what what sort of outlet do they then have for competition? You know, why, yeah. why do they then um, strive to be better or better than another group, right? Mm -hmm. And so they, they sort of introduce these ideas of having, um, you know, almost like the, the order of the red banner of labor or something, you know, <laughs> and, uh, like sports competitions between factories, you know, that, that produce yeah. different kinds of things and sort of, and, and you know, what's, what's strange is, I'm pretty sure, and I can't, I, I couldn't find the reference, but I'm sure this is like a thing in the factories in Shenzhen, and like between different hmm. groups in in the sort of the Foxconn competitions, is they will they will have different groups of laborers competing with each other for sort of for these prizes and these tournaments. That's interesting. And um, I got it, but I forget where I read that, and it it may just be me projecting, so I, I apologize if it's incorrect, but. Um, I, you know, it's it's sort of a thing that, that became popular in the 90s um, of sort of having... Do you remember from the from the paper, Greg? I know I just had Greg read the paper before this episode, <laughs> so I'm sorry. But can you help me find this, Greg? Do you remember what they said about, like, the the stuff that came up in the 90s? Um, the stuff that happened here in America sort of in thing? In America, yeah, because there was sort of a resurgence of this. Oh, it was in relation to fun. So... The, and this was a related thing, perhaps, is, is having work itself be fun and, like, forcing things into work to be fun. I, like, a, a good example of satire on this is in office space. Yeah. How there's the, you know, the Applebee's or whatever equivalent where they're your, required your to wear of flare. pieces of flair. And it's, it's really shown to be the, the sort of... Um, creepy uh, dystopian thing that it is and like you know the, the person who who has like 20 pieces of flair on them is like a better person than the yeah. eyes of the company or whatever but it, it's it's truly ridiculous because it, it doesn't ref it doesn't it doesn't correlate with anything at all related to what you're actually doing. It just makes doing. you seem whimsical. Yeah and it, it's sort of it's this strange it's a strange way that capitalism is almost like trying to correct for certain things that it's bad at. You know, one, one of the things that's, at least that, that consumer capitalism, or that, that this whatever work structure we've created here uh -huh. in the West is called, does is sort of, you, you have that sort of morale problem. It's like, well, if you're a worker in a factory and all you do is put two bolts together, you know, if I give you a gold star, you know, <laughs> do you feel, is there something... Best bolt tightener ever. <laughs> Best bolt tightener ever. I mean, you're better than all the, you're better than like 50 other bolt tighteners or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, yay, I'm succeeding. But, you know, at, at what point, at what point does it just, because it, it doesn't cost a company much to do that, right? Yes. And, and potentially it can, it can retain that laborer for longer, right, if you're, if you're motivated. I, I mean, so Greg, like, and there may have been a bunch of other factors involved in this, but did, did the, the activities, like the picnic, or the you know the pat on the back or the coupons or whatever, in any way significantly influence like your enjoyment of the job of raising canes or like your willingness to stay there <laughs> at all. Yeah, because I mean it it did provide sort of that motivation like you were talking about how it made you feel oh I'm doing fairly well here I want to stay here yeah. that sort of idea and then also just. You know, having the comparison to other places, it's like they do this here, which is better for me here. Hmm. You know, being able to have that picnic, being able to get free coupons, stuff like that. So, so it was sort of a relative judgment in your in your case. Like, 
you said you, you were thinking of it in terms of like, oh, well, okay, so I'm getting these things, but I know that other people aren't. But it wasn't just the fact that you were getting them on its own. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much even just like the other people working in that store as much as like relative to just all the fast food in the area sort of thing. Huh. Because like I'm, I would talk to people that have worked at other fast food restaurants like Burger King or McDonald's or Taco Bell or any of these other stuff, and they'd be like, yeah, we don't really do anything like that. So that was more motivation to stay with huh. Keynes, to stay at that company, huh. and a, to work hard there to keep that job so they didn't have to go experience. work somewhere that didn't have those sort of benefits, those sort of rewards. Uh, I, I, so I see that. And, yeah. And... and I, I guess I just I'm deeply disturbed by that, <laughs> and I'm trying to articulate why. Okay. I, and and I'm probably going to do a poor job at it. So help me out, Kevin. Sure. <laughs> like, what what is it? So so something strikes me as like, as like deceptive or disingenuous or something just about the whole idea of of the gamification of a capitalist system. It's like it, it all it all feels like different flavors of. We don't want to compensate you more with actual money that you can turn into goods value. Goods and services. Outside, yeah, goods and services outside of this company. So we're going to give you things that are completely intangible and inflated by information, emotion, exclusivity, um, you know, scarcity, or, or like we're going to just shift a little bit of value from somewhere else in the company into you, like a 5% discount on meals within the company that doesn't affect the bottom line at all. Right. Yeah. And like, and in it, in compensation for the equivalent of what would actually be many more hours of work because people are bad at estimating how much their time is actually worth. Like, um, or whether, whether the idea of time worth is even a good idea at all. Um, well, maybe, maybe you're a Marxist. Maybe I am, um, <laughs> but but then you know to take it back to and I'm sorry, Greg. Like I mean, I I don't I don't mean to to like to 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 call you out or anything, but like how how did 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 you ever consider these sorts of things when you were in that system? Um, not really. I mean, at the time, it wasn't really a position that I felt I was going to be at like the rest of my life. It wasn't a career. Like a yeah, it wasn't a career. It was just something I was doing to make money while I was working towards my career, while I was learning at college to go and do my career right. later. Sure. And I guess it, it becomes more of a problem in, in you know, more, more serious jobs maybe that aren't like a secondary thing to support a career that's like, this is your actual career. And... Yeah. Because, I mean, like, there'd be people that were working at Kings that it was their job, that's what they came and did. Yeah. To make their money to live off of, they would come in, work, and then you know go home and spend that money on food or anything else like entertainment stuff like that. And you know that's a lot. It was a lot different working there for them than it was for me, who was just a college kid that just wanted to have the job to spend the time that I had mm. getting some money. Uh, well, I, I I go back to another part of action philosophers where they they sort of <laughs> encounter the the guy who's teaching marxism <laughs> yeah you know yeah. And, and they're like i've spent 20 years teaching classic marxist tropes in film noir and they stab him as like die tool of the oppressors <laughs> and, yeah. and that's because what he says is like tenured would-be radicals perpetually fail to understand uh that constantly telling people over and over again that they're oppressed is not the same as liberating them you know yes the revolution will not come from universities but from you know actual revolutionaries revolutionaries and uh, you know that's where i think you know the marxist movements come is like so let's paint a picture of uh you know let's let's say mcdonald's right <laughs> you know where yeah. people realize that they're you know for some reason and again there's a lot of there's a lot of you know good things i mean these are these are not bad things to have these jobs no but and yeah. and that's okay i mean you oh, know being able it, it, to have a job at all is good when Europe has an unemployment rate of 25%. Right. And, and I guess what, what, what frustrates me is, uh -huh. and what probably frustrated Marx, is a lot of people thought that, of like, you know, this is okay, right? Yeah. This, you know, I'm being provided for, I'm not starving, but, you know, 
and, and maybe I'm not advancing as quickly as I could or I don't have the freedoms that I could, but I can buy some of those. And, you know, entertainment is really cheap and movies and games <laughs> are really cheap. You know, these sorts of yeah. things that let you just sort of cruise by in life are pretty cheap as, as you know, commodities mm-hmm. go. And so it doesn't, it doesn't take a, a great job to live okay. Yeah. It takes an okay job. Yeah. And, you know, if that's, if that's all that people are looking for, perhaps capitalism has done its job, but it just, it just seems like all it does is, is perpetuate an average. Yes. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to draw the, you know, the best in us, you mm-hmm. know, the, the truly great achievements, um, you know, the, the Michelangelo's, right? Or the, yeah. Um, so, so. <sighs> it causes us to pretty much just be the most we can to get what we want and then just sort of coast. But is it is it what we want because we've never been shown anything greater? Maybe. You know, is, is that is that I guess why and this it's is maybe one of the, because it's what we're told we want. Right. One could argue. Oh, well, I I, I think Marx argued that and would yes. argue that. It's like it's in the interest of the bourgeoisie to you know perpetuate sort of a model of uh, you know, here are the best things that you can have and it's like axe body spray and all these, you know. <laughs> and they're within your reach and just barely within your reach. Um, and that's not to say that that like uh, you know, a Bentley or a private jet is is somehow inherently better than anything else. You know, there's sort of a, a level of that which becomes ridiculous. But yeah. I'm saying like, <clears throat> you know, really intangible things that you can't really put a price on, like the ability to explore a certain place. You know, you, you can put a cost in travel, perhaps, or, you know, spiritual seclusion or something you know there's not there's not maybe a monetary value you can attach to these sorts of things but they may allow you to experience other things that that a purchase never would Mm -hmm. you know that um and you know i I wonder i wonder now if if we're on the brink of anything when we're, we're seeing like the rise of the maker movement, which is literally putting means of production in the hands of people yes you know where you can you can 3d print commodities um or you know things with use value to yourself yeah and you can start to you you download a pattern which is it costs nothing you know and there there are marketplaces like thingiverse where people can just look at patterns of other things that people have created Mm -hmm. and just make them um, on their own 3d printer because they have that and all you're doing is putting time and materials into that yeah thing um, a lot of people are then turning them back into the capitalist system. Right? And, and since, <laughs> I'm selling you this thing I made. Yeah, mass producing them or, or selling what they made. But I think the, the power really comes in once those things get good enough. This is like, you know, having a replicator means whatever I need, I just print. You yeah. Know, if I need a screwdriver, I use a particularly hard material and maybe it takes longer, but I make myself a screwdriver, you know, and, and this sort of self-sufficiency. I want to make a screwdriver. Yeah, not I mean, the alcoholic kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't that be cool? And, and I guess yeah, so that that you know that sort of access to a very wide variety of things is made much easier by capitalism. Yes, but I I wonder if we haven't you know taken a shortcut in a way as like a species, and that that capitalism was you know if we sacrifice human autonomy and um, net happiness and all these uh-huh. other things then we can get, you know, this wide variety of highly sophisticated technology and materials across a, a broad spectrum of the human race. Sure, sure. But that it was a shortcut, you know, that we did sacrifice some very important things. And that maybe Marx was one of those people that went, eh, wait a minute, you know, we're... Ein Minuten bitte. Hang on a minute. Like... We can go this route, but there's another way to get to where we are, and it may take, or to, to where we want to go, and it may take longer. Yeah. Um, it's very, I, I, you know, Greg, do you think, like, as a, as a human race, that we have a tangible sense of progress anymore? Do you think that is that it's something that still exists? Hmm. I don't even know, you know, whether that's even a good question. Let's try, <laughs> try to rephrase it. Like, you know, do you feel like we're better off now than we were 100 years ago? On average. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can definitely... I think just because of the way we live our lives and the way that we have, like, at least in America and in a lot of, like, the higher developed countries, we definitely have a sense that we've 
come a long way since 100 years ago just because we're being sort of told that with education systems. <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, I just know. looking at what we have today on average compared to what we had back then, like a lot of people compare, you know, the smartphones nowadays that almost everyone has to the Apollo rockets, how one smartphone is probably more powerful than the Apollo rockets were when they went up into space. Yeah, as far as computing power. Why can't my phone go to space? <laughs> it may be able <laughs> it to can, one day. Just not Your yet. phone can go to space. I could put it on a, a <laughs> rocket and it can't it go to space, space by itself. I could strap it to something that could go into space. Or a balloon. I could put it on a balloon. <laughs> that balloon could float up to space. That's actually for Let's a few... send my phone to space. Okay. Not right now. I'm using it. Not right now? All right. I'm playing Super Hexagon. But I mean, it's sort of that idea of, like, we can look back and see that we have come a long way. And I think a lot of it is just because we have the technology nowadays. And the more technology we have, the more we feel like we've come a ways. Yeah. Just because, like, a lot of the stuff that we gauge as progression comes from technology, how medical science has improved because of additions to technology of, like, being able to examine things, being able to work on the human body because of certain ways of doing things. You know, new metals, new machinery, stuff like that, and just... Mm -hmm. And, so like, like, our in, modes of in transportation, of, how uh, we've come from riding on animals, like horses and stuff, to building our own machines that take us farther and faster. Yeah, I, and the more I, is better approach. Exactly, but more, more of of what I, I don't know. There's a, um, I, th I think it was on Netflix that I watched recently, the a documentary called um, "Understanding Progress" or something like that, that examined this question in a way of like, all right, you know, what what is it that we consider to be progress and is is it that we have actually progressed and what are sort of the consequences of the way in which we we have and mm -hmm. whether you know because if you look at it the human race has sort of done one step forward two steps back a lot of times you know roman empire got very sophisticated in terms of it, it's and big <laughs> and big in terms of its technological sophistication the um the maya were another one that went uh, well, ways, mm -hmm. you know, Renaissance, um, Italy, you know, was another one that went really far in a certain direction. The British Empire went really far. The British Empire, far. I mean, it just, and that was that was fifty years ago, seventy years ago, but yeah, the really the British Empire ended with World, World War One, World War One, World, World War One was the end of the modern British Empire. They were still an empire when World War Two started. Were they? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Some would argue there's still an empire today, but I'm not that person. Uh, everyone should read Guns, Germs, and Steel, for one thing. I, I feel like it is germane to this discussion. Um, germane, aha. Uh -huh. Sorry. That, yeah. that was unnecessary. See what I did there, Kevin? That was unnecessary. Surviving Progress. That's the name of the documentary. If you have Netflix, huh. watch Surviving Progress. Um, another one, you know, we, we have this, this paper, of course, um, that we can put a link to in the show notes that examines gamification specifically and whether that's a, a good way to, you know, motivate, to, way mm -hmm. to make work better in, in some way. I, I just, my, my worry with, with any kind of gamification and with anything that sort of, that, that separates the work from the measurement of work or from the, the like idea of it is, is deceptive. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess to articulate that better, and I don't know what you're doing on your phone. I'm playing Super Hexagon. <laughs> I wasn't Super, lying. Super Hexagon? Okay. I can listen and play Super Hexagon. They use yeah. two different parts of my brain. Yeah. Have you gotten achievements on there? I beat 10 seconds. 10 seconds. That's, that's impressive. That is impressive. You, you're progressing as a human being. Yes, because I can beat Super Hexagon. Uh-huh. My best is 12.13 seconds. That is, that is more seconds than, than I can play in Super Hexagon. It is, I only got it once, but it was impressive. Mm-hmm. I'm getting better, I think. <laughs> I think I'm getting better. This is, this is the whole discussion we're having. See, this is germane. Um, this is the whole discussion we're having. I think I'm getting better at Super Hexagon, but I don't know. <laughs> Am I? Are you just spending more time with it? <laughs> yeah. I got nine seconds that time. Right. I think we're really bad at knowing that. I think we are. <laughs> and I think gamification and wages and other things like that are good things to point to and say, aha, I, but I did this, so I must be better. Right. But I'm a level 85 in, in yeah. World of Warcraft. Or, or, you know, yeah, but I got Employee of the Month six times. And, 
13 seconds. New record. <laughs> See? This is the problem. But it's addictive. <laughs> it's like you, you get a little dopamine hit, right? Oh, yeah. From, from the right, in the, right in the dopamines. But just like any drug, it wears off. And I think after a time, you know. Yeah, it, after, after time, I'm going to throw my phone against the wall. Achievement porn just doesn't do it for yeah. you anymore. And and uh, I do. This is this is an interesting example. I don't know if you came across this in, in Portal Two. Did you play Portal Two, Greg? Yeah, I played Portal Two. Yeah. It's one of the ones I everyone should play Portal Two. Um, in Portal Two, and spoilers for a two-year-old game, so deal with it. Yeah. Um, in Portal Two, there's a part where Wheatley's trying to kill you, and he wants you to jump in a pit full of spikes. <laughs> and the pit didn't work the way he wanted to, and so he has to just ask you, "Hey, please jump in this pit of spikes." <laughs> um, and it doesn't work, and you and it, but it's funny to listen to because it's a humor humorous game, right? And so you can listen to him, you know, trying, "Please, please get into the pit of spikes. It'll be awesome." And then he says, "There's stuff down there." There's yeah, there's stuff down there. There's you know, cake or whatever. And he goes, and there's there's one that says, "I'll give you an achievement." And then if you jump in the pit of spikes, you do in fact get an achievement. Oh. For jumping in the pit of yeah. spikes, There's which kills you. There's also one like that uh, with Gladys earlier in the game, where she says, "You know, here's a door to the outside. I think I even saw a deer." Uh huh. And if you go over there, you get an achievement. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's one of those. Yeah. But in, in that case in particular, it's like I'm going to give you an achievement if you do this. And so, on the one point, it's kind of commenting on the fact that like people love getting get achievements and but seven, they kill themselves seconds. in the game to get the achievement. Yes, they intentionally. Do something themselves. that does not benefit them in the game for the um, chance to say and show off to their friends that they did that. We, and, and as we all know, achievements are meaningless. They are completely They have no benefit whatsoever right. other than saying, I did this. Yeah. But you could also say, I did this. Like, I got all the achievements yeah. in a particular and, game. Well, it would, or, and, yeah. But even saying, you know, I beat the game. You know, the fact that I can sit here and say I got, tw I got 17 freaking seconds in Super Hexagon, I don't need an achievement for that. I can just say that because I shouldn't pay attention. I'm, I'm pushing the, the buttons. Um, <laughs> and achievements, and here's another thing. We're kind of getting off topic. Yeah. But achievements tell you you're playing the game wrong. Because here, for an example, and I'm, I'm, I, I want to think of a good one. Mm -hmm. um, let me pull up Far Cry 3, I think, has some. Far Cry 3 has some weird achievements. Oh, it's, it goes through another thing, so it's not the one I'm thinking of. Well, in the sense of, like, you're, you're doing too much of a particular thing? No, no, or... in that it rewards you. It sets out, here's how you get the rewards in this game. If you do this, this, and this, yeah. you have done the game well. Um, Mark of the Ninja, for example, which is a stealth game, you get achievements for not killing anybody. Okay. If you beat a level without killing anybody, you get an achievement. You get, you get points. Yay. And that's cool. And, but that's telling me I have to play the game this way. You don't get an achievement for killing everybody well, in the game. It's a meta game. I mean, there, there's the game that you, that you can play. It's just like but, Assassin's Creed, But it's Creed, telling right? me how I'm supposed to enjoy the game. Uh, or like, uh, it's just, telling me if if I want to go through and and kill everybody because I'm terrible at stealth. Here's the way I see it: achievements are cheap replay value. <laughs> achievements are again a way that a developer can add value to their game, whatever the hell that is, yeah. in terms of playtime, you know, entertainment value or whatever, uh -huh. by not actually creating any new content. New, <laughs> right? They're just just they're, do this ten thousand times. Yeah, they're associating patterns with the existing content. And while some of those can be fun, I find that most of them are just work. Like yes. you know, in Assassin's Creed, waiting around for the pages to be in the right place, and then you know, like a like you know, old squirrel, you know, running up the building to try to grab <laughs> a page of Ben Franklin's diary or whatever, it, it just it becomes work after a while. And like going back and looking at your map in Tomb Raider and finding out all the locations of all the GPS caches that don't do anything to improve <laughs> your character at all or mm -hmm. make you know the game any There's more. There's no in-game value, right? Um, well, and I mean, that really kind of depends on the achievement, though. I mean, a lot of the game's achievements out right now, yeah, are those sort of... They don't really do anything. But there are a few games that do take the achievements and make them something interesting. And it's not so much you have to play this way to do it. It sort of just kind of gives you an idea of, oh, I can do this if I want. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. 
Yeah. You know, that, that, that can happen. And so, yeah, I mean, and there are definitely, and I mean, getting back into the workplace thing, like there are different, you can go for employer of the month if you want to, but it's not like you won't get paid if you don't go for it, right? Yeah. And, and it's that sort of difference between commission-based work and, uh, you know, intangible achievement-based work. In a way, commission-based work is almost more pure in the sense of <laughs> rewarding people directly. Kind of. Know, maybe not pure, but, like, it's, it more directly associates what labor with reward. Yes. You know, in that sense of, like, you know, you're you're getting you're actually getting more for putting additional effort yeah. in. Um, now, personally, I hated commission-based work systems. Maybe because I I don't know. Maybe because I saw it as you know the type of things you had to do to, to get a commission were often to create surplus value. Yeah, and that that was deeply disturbing to me. Was I I never wanted to make someone pay more than what they, they needed. needed to pay. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and that that sort of moral feeling was was in me the whole time so and it and it ended up hurting me because i i ended up not making as much money mm -hmm. but i felt like well in a way though like i'm helping the world by not getting people to spend as much money or something yeah. like that but still i was in a retail store yes know? and and this was radio speaking of um retail in. is the biggest job in america right now it is more people work in retail than any other any other job sector. So we really are becoming a nation of that just came out, yeah. proletariat and bourgeoisie. I mean, that's oh, yeah, the thing yeah. is, is even manufacturing is going away. Where mm -hmm. you know we're not making anything, we're selling the things that other people are making yeah. to things who are. But the majority of us are still are, the, are the sellers, not the buyers. Right. I mean, we do buy lots of things, but oh my god, that's 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 a real big symptom of what I earlier called late stage consumer capitalism. Yeah, is the fact that the biggest job sector in America is salespeople, <laughs> not creators of things, not the movers of things, but the salespeople. Like yeah. it's, it's not, you know, it's, safe. it's not people who fix things, you know, yeah, plumbers, you're we kinda, need you plumbers. are, you're safely in between. You're, you're not, you don't have the, the responsibility of actually making anything, um, or the, you know, necessity to, um, I guess be, you know, manage other people or, or shuffle their own value around, you yeah. know, shuffle other people's value around. Oh my. Well, I mean, we could, we could definitely go in circles off on various spirals on this for a long time. But yeah, I am playing super hexagon after all. And, and Kevin is playing super hexagon. And so talk about circles. Um, well, Greg, I guess we'll end on, on kind of a, a happy note here. Um, any, any particular games that you would recommend to our audience that you've played recently from your, uh, your indie travels? Well, well, let's see here. Let's go back through the list of everything that I just bought. <laughs> <laughs> you got any recommendations Steam. to entertain the proletariat there, Greg? <laughs> Help people whittle away at the rest of their existence and blissfully. Well, I mean, Super the... Hexagon is hard. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like hard see, games, why don't are you play playing that, it? Like, what I don't you... know! Because <laughs> I got 17 seconds once. But. Why? Like, I mean, it's there's no there's no art to it. There's no. It's twitch based. It's it just, reflex. It's the, oh my god! It's the dopamine hit. Oh. Yep. Well, the fact that I can immediately start over and try again. Yeah, it's like a mountain of coke. Yeah, can just... <laughs> I can just keep doing more coke. Wait, what? I got confused. What is this game? Super Hexagon. It it was on a lot of best of lists last year. It is a super minimalistic game. You yeah. are a little triangle on the interior edge of a hexagon, and the walls are coming at you, and you have to not get hit by them. Right. So, but it is it is the the easiest level, the starting level, is called hard. The it's basically concentric hexagons floating towards you, float, and you have floating, to floating. Yeah, like floating in on you, like yes. coming in on you. Concentric hexagons. So it, it's as if. The game looks as if you're moving backward through a tunnel yes. of hexagons. And the only way that you can advance is by finding the open space of the hexagon that is next about to engulf you. They're not always hexagons. Sometimes you just get like three or two at a time. But Okay. Sometimes there are, there's more than one side missing. But yeah. you, you essentially have to trace your way around the inside of a, of a cylindrical 
hexagonoid. Hard. Whatever. It's. I guess it so would. It's, it's a six gone, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a three D version of like the tunnel up, where you're in a tunnel and you have to move with the tunnel and not hit the sides, sort of thing. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. It, it's the same idea. It really is. Grab it, it at the or, next Steam sale. It'll be like two bucks. Or Tempest. I mean, it really. Or just go watch YouTube videos and save yourself the two bucks. Yeah. Because it's yeah. a hard game. You can watch a YouTube video of someone beating it and getting to the very last level. What? Can you? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, the guy pulled up the other night. So, anyways, so what would you recommend, Greg? Uh, well, I mean, going off of Portal Two earlier, if you really liked Portal Two. There's a game called Quantum Conundrum that's oh. somewhat like it. It's those sort of physics puzzles. Is that the one with John Delancey? Yes. Yes, it is. A.K.A. Q from Star Trek? Yes. In a game that AKA involves Discord the letter Q? A.K.A. Discord for all the bronies out there. You a Who? brony, Greg? I'm a brony. Cool. I'll admit it. Oh. You... Did you ever meet uh, Brian Mitchell? He's another person we'd had on the show. Uh, you must have at some point, right? At some point, probably. Like... He sounds familiar. He's a brony, too. Yep. Well, and if you ever if you ever find yourself in Austin, we have uh, connections to the local brony groups. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I'm a I'm not a brony. I can I will say that I pretend to be. You sometimes. hang out with bronies. I do hang out with bronies occasionally, and because they're good people. Yeah. And that's maybe an, an episode <laughs> for another day. Nothing wrong with bronies. Is, is Bronies are turning, or the whole brony thing is turning otherwise isolated nerds into clusters of slightly more social nerds. Good oh, people. what the crap? Would... It went down to a five. What? I saw a guy. There's a guy who got... What? What? <laughs> I'm watching a Super Hexagon video where he gets 303 seconds. How? <laughs> this... I would never want to play this far. Yeah. This is the worst thing. I'm pretty sure that these are faked where someone, like, figures out how to just get the thing to drive itself. But if they are a person actually playing it, then... Oh, my God. This person spent too much of their life on this i I can believe it if something tells me a lot of these people that do this have also played toho toho which is yeah it's you know how in the old days you'd have those games in the arcades where you'd be like a jet plane and you're going along and it's a top-down view and there's these other planes coming in shooting at you and you have to dodge them and shoot them and stuff bullet hell shooters yeah 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 that's the thing bullet storms it's that on crack oh Mm. boy I mean, it's literally, you don't try to not get hit. You try to get hit as little as possible <laughs> so that you're only grazed and not your core is hit. Huh. Oh, man. Sounds a little bit like Beat Hazard. Yeah, Although Beat Hazard is, is easy enough and fun. Mm, like, it can be unforgiving if, Beat you, Hazard's, if you said it right. I would consider casual. Yeah. Um, it's also just a damn good visualization. Yeah. It's fun. For your music. Okay. Well, uh, we will wrap things up here then. Uh, Greg, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook <laughs> again. Oh, good. <laughs> Actually, that's how we reconnected. You finally accepted my friend request from like six months ago. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been on Facebook in like three years. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a necessity that, that Kevin has not embraced quite yet i'm so barely on facebook yeah i wouldn't say it's a necessity but it is something nice to have it makes things easier Hmm. are you on twitter at all where people can find stuff publicly no no (laughs) well that's all right we're glad you were able to make it on the show man and uh kevin saunders people can find you at uh where same old same old twitter.com slash kevsond and yeah, go there and go, go there. figure it out after that. Cool. And you can find me, I'm Stephen Torrance, on Twitter at S-Torrance, S-T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E. You can follow the show at Facebook.com slash Bad Philosophy or Twitter.com slash Bad Philosophy. And, uh, well, you know, whether you're in the bourgeoisie or the proletariat, you know, keep doing what you're doing, status quo and all that. Or, you know, if you feel like it, band together with a few other billion people and... <laughs> change the system of the world I don't know it's up to you 
See you next time on Bad Philosophy. <laughs> so here's the, the definition of the proletariat. The proletariat. A working class bro. Sean's proletariat lifestyle involves him working at a factory but spends his money on Keystone Light and DMV tickets. <laughs> mm, the proletariat, ladies and gentlemen. So rise up, look all around you, the powers that be, they've got you. Walk in in circles, fill your heads with greed, but I know impermanence from material things. So wake up and burn this down and set the animals free. At least in college, there was a better illusion of progression. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say that Still there was illusion of progression. There was actual progression, but um, yeah, there was there was a better feeling of like, oh, I'm uh, you know I'm getting credits for having completed classes. Yeah, and you know it's gamification, really. Like it is. the school system is, you know, you I'm a I'm a level grade whatever yeah. one through twelve, and then I'm a college grade whatever, you know, senior, super senior, whatever, and you know. Eventually, and it, I mean, I had a, I had a real existential crisis in like spring of 2010, right as I was about to finish college, where I was just like, oh my god, this doesn't mean anything. Like none of <laughs> none of this stuff that I've worked toward and like this senior thesis that I was going to put all this into, so that I could graduate with highest honors and get a gold thing instead of a silver thing. Uh -huh. I was like, I'm like, I'm killing myself over this. And there's no reason for me to be doing any of it. And uh, I was, but the problem is, is like nobody there will, will tell you that, obviously, <laughs> because it's in their interest to keep you at the school and paying money to the school. And it almost like it was this weird in joke between all of the, you know, the faculty there and the, you know. Ah! What's the point of all that? So wake up and burn this down and set the animals free. So rise up. Badphilosophy.com Five years and I still don't know how to wear a microphone. <laughs> <laughs>